0: You're listening to The One Peter Five
1: Podcast. It is a real joy for us to welcome you all here. Abemus Rebuilding Catholic culture. Restoring Catholic tradition. Hello and welcome to The One Peter Five Podcast, episode number 48. My name is Steve Skojek. I am the founder, publisher, and executive director of One Peter Five and the host of this podcast, And I wanted to take a moment to thank you for all your feedback on last episode's uh, video podcast. We decided to give it a shot, and uh, it did pretty well. Um, People were very happy with it. We got a lot of positive feedback and commentary. So we are going to do our best to continue with these, also to increase the frequency uh, with which they appear My goal is to start having a weekly podcast. I have to free enough time uh, out of my schedule to make it happen. Um, I have to admit, the first one took a lot longer than I had anticipated. There was some pretty steep learning curves involved with some of the software. Uh, I had to learn an entirely new package of editing software in order to piece things together in the way that I needed to. and there was just a, you know, a bunch of technical issues that I was banging my head against the wall for two solid days to get a one-hour podcast out. But we did. We got it out and uh, to fabulous critical acclaim. So we're happy with that. Um, one of the challenges, honestly, uh, that we face is uh, just limitation of resources. We uh, don't have a studio. Never had a studio for podcasting. Don't have a studio for this. So What you're looking at here is actually my office, my home office where I work every day, um, doing the things that we do for One Peter Five. I can remember not to shake that camera. See, this is one of the things I'm not good at. Um, But, so yeah, this is my home office and it has its limitations. Um, I'm not a huge fan of the colors in here. That's a story that I'm just not gonna go into right now. Um, But I don't love them. I feel like I'm in a tinker's barn or something like that. And there's just sort of a, with that yellow and the dark green behind me, there's a kind of dinginess that happens in the room. Um, it's okay if we get enough natural light in here, but it's been raining for like 40 days and 40 nights here in Virginia. So it's been dark and cloudy out pretty much every day. And the way that we have sought to compensate for that is to add some lights in here. Um, my wife, uh, is a lovely, uh, purveyor of fine real estate here in Virginia she has been a real estate agent for many many years and she's been doing more video and she got some studio lights for some of the video that she's doing and I stole one today um she's not here actually she helped me set it up but if she were here she might want it back um but anyway so there's not a lot of room in here and I'm just going to show you really quickly kind of how we had to set this up because it's, it's sort of fun to see behind the scenes. But here's our St. Michael statue that everybody loves back there. And in order to make sure he's lit, I have this diffused light over there. Pay no attention to the robot statues. That's a different story uh, altogether. Um, and then of course, here's uh, the computer setup where we do the editing. And uh, there is a nice soft box light that's uh, diffused. And, um, and our, our podcast uh, from the last episode is currently up on the screen. I had to do some work on that and pull out all the stuff from last episode so that I can use the template for this one. So that's our setup. Um, And I've got, you know, all these wires and things and barely fit that light behind my desk. Um, But, you know, we're we're getting better at this. We're going to keep working on it. And I think that we will improve as time goes on. So thank you for your patience and thank you for your feedback. We're really glad that you liked the last one and um, we're having fun doing these. So we hope to continue um, pretty soon if we're lucky, we will um, be able to do some video interviews of guests. That's the next uh, item on my list to figure out how to make sure that we can do that and have it work well. Um, so yeah, so today's episode, I wanna talk about something that's, um, you know, pretty serious, not that you know, we always talk about serious stuff, but this thing that happened in Ireland, man, I, um. I was surprised and not surprised. Let me let me back up. So Ireland last week had a referendum on repealing their constitutional protection for the unborn. Um, in 1983, uh, Ireland added this this amendment to their constitution that gave specific protection to the unborn from the scourge of abortion that was sweeping the world. Right, 1970. I'm drawing a blank, 73 was Roe versus Wade? I think so, I'm probably wrong. 1970s was Roe versus Wade, anyway. And Ireland did the right thing and they decided, hey, we're gonna protect our kids. You see, Ireland is thought of by most of the world as a Catholic country because it was for 1600 years. Uh, Ireland and Catholicism are virtually synonymous, or have been, and I think that's why for so many people uh, in America, what happened uh, last week was such a huge shock, such a huge surprise. But I don't think it should have been. I think the way that I phrased it is, you know, Ireland, you break my heart, but you do not surprise me. Like many Americans, I claim quite a good bit of Irish heritage, my Paternal grandmother was the daughter of Irish immigrants. There's Irish on both sides of my family. Yes, I have a Slavic last name, but um, you know, my grandfather, my dad's dad, was the son of Slovak immigrants, and my and his wife, my grandmother, was the daughter of Irish immigrants. And it's it's a pretty recent history. There's a lot of of Irish in my background, and there's this this weird cultural identification thing that happens with American Irish Catholics. Um, you just feel connected. I've never even been to Ireland, but you just feel connected somehow. And I think that, um, if you're an American Irish Catholic, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And if you're from Ireland, you probably think we're weird, uh, for feeling that way, but we do. And, um, and so this one kind of struck a blow and, um, one of the people who I think has been really excellent, actually, about this is uh, C.J. Doyle, who is the executive director for the Catholic Action League of Massachusetts. He has um, written a number of things uh, about this referendum. Um, actually, his alerts were were the reason why I kind of started tuning in uh, to what was going on over there, because I really didn't even know that this vote was coming. And then all of a sudden it was on top of us. So that's something I want to talk to CJ about. I'm going to have him on the show today. Um, But just sort of how this snuck up. And maybe it was just me. Maybe I just have too much news in front of me. Um, But I didn't see this coming. And then suddenly it was done. And what's crazy about it to me is this vote. You know, you could expect there being a margin. I mean, here in the States, they're constantly polling and it's around 51, 49 about, you know, should abortion be legal in most cases or should it not? And there's a very even split in the United States. So Ireland, which has this you know, deeply ingrained Catholicism in its culture, you would expect you would expect that um, it would be at least close there, but it wasn't. It was like sixty-six to thirty-four percent in favor of the repeal. I mean, it wasn't even close. It was two to one, um, and that's pretty devastating. And then in cities like Dublin, I mean, the number was seventy-seven percent. It was even higher. So I haven't seen statistics on the youth vote, but I can only imagine that they're just as bad. And it was just so overwhelming. And something that CJ wrote in one of his pieces, uh, actually one that we republished um, here at 1 Peter 5 a few days ago called Ireland Chooses Death. He pointed out that never in history has a people voted to kill its own. You know, when we got Roe versus Wade here in the United States, um, it was a Supreme Court decision. There were some activist judges that read something into the 14th amendment that didn't exist and they imposed it on the country and it was bad, but we didn't vote for it. We didn't ask for it. And CJ points out that in in Nazi Germany, the people didn't even vote for, you know, the extermination of millions of people. That wasn't a, a choice that was made by the masses. That came from the top but Ireland just chose this and they didn't just choose it. They celebrated it. I don't know if you've seen um, what that looked like, but I mean, it's probably the most disgusting thing about all of this. You know, look at this video. So these women are sitting here waiting for the the announcement to come out. Look at the anticipation. And then the announcement comes, and it is like the most exciting thing. They just won the Super Bowl. This is the biggest moral victory, and they are so enthusiastic about the the newfound ability to kill their own children and have it be legal. God, look at that. They're so happy about it. It's one of the most disgusting things I've ever seen. How does a people... Hmm become this how do you become enthusiastic about the prospect of murdering innocent babies what is wrong with you ireland where does this i mean it's demonic where does it come from how do you give yourselves over to this and of course ireland has been on this trajectory for a while ireland um yeah they voted uh, a couple years ago in another referendum to legalize uh, same-sex marriage. And then two years after that, they elected their first uh, homosexual prime minister who was very involved in pushing this next uh, deconstruction of the moral framework of, of Ireland. And this is just, it's devastating, devastating stuff. And we need to take some time and wrestle with this because it's not normal for people to act this way. It's not normal for such a a precipitous decline in the moral fabric of a culture that is so steeped in the Catholic faith that is so known. I mean, for its missionaries and its priests, how did we get here? So I want to talk about this um, with a couple of people. So C.J. Doyle will be on the show here in a little bit. And then I also uh, will be speaking a little later on uh, to a fellow by the name of John Lacken, who is uh, secretary of the Lumen Fide Institute in Ireland and also a columnist for the Catholic Voice there. John is going to give us um, some perspective on... What's going on on the ground in Ireland? What the feel is there? You know, how are the Catholics, the no voters, what are they doing? What are they doing next? How do they, how do they cope with this defeat? Um, so I'm not going to belabor my monologue here. I want to get right to those conversations because I think we've got a lot to talk about. So stay tuned. Uh, I'll be back with C.J. Jo- uh, Doyle right after this.
2: You're listening to the One Peter Five Podcast.
1: Joining me now on the phone is C.J. Doyle. He is the executive director of the Catholic Action League of Massachusetts. And if I may be frank, I think that he's been an absolute rock star on this issue. Um, The statements that he's been making have been uh, really, really important. So, Mr. Doyle, thank you for joining us on the program today.
2: I'm delighted to be here, Steve.
1: So I want to start off. uh, Obviously, I want to talk to you about this Irish referendum and your perspective on it. But I also want to know a little bit more about you. And um, you obviously have a very deeply personal connection to what's happening in Ireland. So what's your story and why are you so invested in what just took place?
2: Well, first of all, obviously, I'm a Catholic, and uh, and Ireland has been a a bastion of Catholicism for 16 centuries, for 60 generations. It is Ireland that uh, uh, helped preserve the, the learning of classical antiquity. Uh, during the the so-called Dark Ages, during the so-called period of the conversion of the barbarians. And it's the Irish that uh, helped re-evangelize Europe after the fall of the Roman Empire. Uh, You know, Scotland, England, uh, much of Western Europe, some of the monks that helped uh, found uh, Charlemagne's first cathedral school in Paris were Irish, which later went on to become uh, the Sorbonne. So uh, you've seen uh, Ireland play a a disproportionately... um, um, beneficial impact in the in the preservation of Christian civilization and in the spread of the Catholic faith. In fact, one of the, um, uh, the ironic legacies of the British Empire is that uh, though all of uh, Britain's African colonies are now independent and the uh, association with the British Commonwealth is very tangential, um, uh, the, the most enduring legacy of the British Empire in Africa are large numbers of Irish missionaries and large Catholic populations in countries like Nigeria yeah so um uh, the, the the irish have have really um uh, done perhaps uh, more than than many others in uh, in both preserving uh, the Catholic faith and in spreading it throughout the world also uh, i 'm irish american myself i'm uh, all four of my grandparents were Irish uh, three of them were born in Ireland. Uh, they were pious Catholics, and they were um, um, dedicated Irish nationalists. They admired uh, Eamon de Valera, who was one of the greatest, uh, who was the founding father of Ireland, and one of the greatest Catholic statesmen of the 20th century. The man who wrote Ireland's magnificently Catholic uh, constitution of 1937. Which uh, uh, really is, is perhaps the most profoundly Catholic juridical framework uh, for political and social order in the in the 20th century. So I, I came from a, a pious uh, uh, Catholic home of, of people of Irish birth and Irish ancestry, and again, this is just so heartbreaking to see what has happened uh, that um, that Ireland, which which endured so much persecution and privation and uh, destruction at the hands of the enemies of the faith, should in, inflict upon themselves. Uh, the destruction that uh, that the British and the Vikings and and so many others over the centuries uh, could not accomplish.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and I and I think so. I mean, one of the things that really I think has blindsided Catholics in America, in my perspective, um, you know, they think of Ireland because of all those reasons that you state as a, a Catholic country. Um, And, you know, something that you said in your analysis uh, is that, you know, after 16 centuries and and more than 60 generations of Catholic faith and Christian culture and civilized morals, the Irish people, and I'm quoting here, the Irish people have repudiated their religion, betrayed their heritage, scorned their ancestors, and abandoned their historic identity only to descend into barbarism. Now, I don't think anybody can argue with your conclusion here, but I think that a lot of people that I was seeing, you know, talking about this issue especially people of irish ancestry and i'm one of them felt totally yeah. blindsided by this because they think of ireland as a catholic country so how did we get to this point
2: well first of all this has been a very long process of incremental betrayals uh, it really in, in some ways goes back to the 1960s in and in a, in a juridical in the legislative sense it was back in 1972 uh in 1972 irish voters by a referendum margin of i think 84 uh, percent approved a constitutional amendment repealing Article 44 of the Irish Constitution which recognized the Holy Catholic Apostolic and Roman Church as the guardian of the faith professed by the great majority of citizens. So we saw this secularization uh, beginning really in 1972. And by the way, uh, one of the people who advocated it was John Hume, who was a hero to the nationalist community in Northern Ireland, and who was the leader of the Social Democratic and Labor Party and was known as pro-life. Mm. So you, and, and John Hume wrote in Foreign Affairs that Ireland must, if, if, we're, if we're going to accomplish Irish unity, we must, Ireland must cease to be a confessional state, meaning a Catholic state. So you have a, a pro-life conservative in 1972, arguing for secularization. So see, obviously there's already something very wrong there. And then in 1973, the Irish Supreme Court recognized the right to to marital privacy, which is this uh, complete distortion of the notion of privacy, similar to Griswold versus Connecticut in America, which laid the basis for contraception. And then in 1979, you saw the the first legalization of contraception. It was opened very, very, uh, uh, it was only a very small opening in the door. It was, um, you know, uh, you had to be, had a prescription, had to be a married couple, and they had to have a prescription from a physician. And most physicians were pro life then mm-hmm. and didn't give out such prescriptions. But then in the 1980s, you see a uh, uh, contraception legalized and, uh, and eventually legalized for over-the-counter sales for anyone under 17, anyone over 17. And then uh, in, um, in 1992, you had the so-called X case in which the Irish Supreme Court uh, uh, permitted abortion in the case of suicidal ideation. In other words, of a woman claimed uh, that she was suicidal. If she couldn't have an abortion, she could then have an abortion. And then, you know, what we're seeing today... Um, uh, steve is that a lot of people are talking about uh, i think they're, they're perhaps gilding the lily here pro-lifers in ireland are talking about much of the yes vote for the repeal of the eighth amendment to the repeal of the uh, prohibition against abortion was a soft vote but i think much of the pro-life vote was in fact a soft vote you saw three referendums way back in 1992 25 years ago uh which essentially had pro-abortion outcomes uh, you saw a uh, 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 a referendum uh, uh, by 65% uh, national vote, which rejected an amendment that would overturn this X case that allowed abortion in the case of suicidal ideation. You saw the 13th Amendment to the Irish Constitution passed by a very large margin, about 62%, establishing the right to travel outside the country for the purpose of procuring an abortion. Mm. And between 6,000 and 8,000 women a year went to uh, England to get abortions. If you look at... uh, United Kingdom uh, uh, Ministry of Health statistics uh, for the last 25 years, you'll see that uh, something like 169,000 women who procured abortions in England uh, gave Irish addresses. So you have, uh, uh, you know, literally, uh, you know, tens and tens of thousands of women going abroad to get abortions. You also saw the 14th Amendment passed 25 years ago by 59%, which established the right to I- obtain information about abortion. So uh, again, this is the the the, the vaunted pro-life uh, vote and the strong pro-life barrier in the Eighth Amendment to the Irish Constitution was not quite as um, as uh, as uh, as as firm and as uh, and as solid as as some pro-lifers would have us believe. In fact, you you've you've had this trend towards abortion and of course towards contraception, which is also abortifacient, going on for thirty years now. And then of course um, you know we saw the. Uh, 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 you know, the uh, various things since 2010 civil partnerships, uh, same sex marriage, uh, homosexual adoption. So you see this further de Christianization. Uh, so it, it, the, the trend has been very disturbing. And I think the trajectory also is very disturbing if you look at the marriage that the the, the nineteen ninety five referendum twenty three years ago which legalized divorce in ireland it passed by a microscopic margin about uh, it was fifty point two percent and it was by the way it was clearly uh, it was clearly a rigged referendum not rigged in the sense of ballot fraud but rigged in the sense that the government spent money and and used its resources to to uh, to promote one outcome which would be clearly illegal and unconstitutional in any american state uh, and then, so that was about fifth So half the country voted for divorce in 1995. Then three-fifths of the country, more than three-fifths, 62%, voted for sodomy for same-sex so-called marriage in 2015. Now, Nearly a fraction under two-thirds, 66.3%, have voted for the, the, the killing of unborn children in 2018. So we've gone from a country that was half-dechristianized and decatholicized in 1995 to a country that was three-fifths dechristianized in 2015 to a country that's clearly two-thirds Christianized in 2018. So it's, uh, again, the trajectory is very disturbing.
1: Well, I mean, that's what really blew me away about this. You know, I, I can't say I was entirely surprised at the outcome of the vote, yeah. even though it was very disappointing, but that it was such a strong majority. I mean, that, to me, was yeah. was really the, the eye-opener. And, you know, you made the point, yeah. and it's one I don't think people are talking about enough, that this was unique because it was the people as you said who voted for mass murder i mean this didn't happen in roe versus wade which is imposed by an activist court it didn't even happen as you said in nazi germany
2: um the majority never voted in Nazi Germany for mass murder. in In Britain, when they legalized abortion in 1967 with the Abortion Act, it was the, it was Parliament that did it. And in America, it was Roe versus Wade. Or in the case of uh, uh, some of the states that had legalized it before then, it was it was the legislature and the governor, like Nelson Rockefeller in New York. But you you you've never had uh, this a national plebiscite, a national referendum in which two thirds of the people uh, are, are complicit in child murder. Right.
1: Right. And then and then when the votes came in, when the results came in, we see these horrifying videos of people cheering and dancing in the streets. And, you know, they're not just, this isn't just this somber necessity that they tried to sell the vote as of, you know, well, you know, sometimes, you yep. know, the life of the mother. And I mean, they were celebrating the license they'd given themselves to take the lives of unborn children. And that to me, I mean, is there any explanation for that kind of behavior?
2: Well, I I think it's satanic. I think it's demonic. I think it's preternatural. It's clearly odium today. They seem to hate the Catholic faith. And uh, we've seen this terrible cartoon in the Sunday Independent, um, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, which is the largest newspaper in Ireland. And by the way, which is traditionally the Fine Gael newspaper, the the, the newspaper of the Fine Gael party, which sits as Christian Democrats in the um, European Parliament. So this is the Christian Democratic paper mm. in, in, in Dublin of the so-called uh, rosary-erectomy, where you have a, a surgeon removing a rosary from, uh, from a, a woman's womb and uh, and saying, uh, good, the obstruction has been removed. Yeah. So this is this is hideous. This is just, this is a, the hatred of the uh, uh, of our Lord, hatred of, of his Blessed Mother, hatred of the Church, but she found it.
1: Well, you know, so, so something that I see people talking about is that this is a reaction against the Church, and again, the recent scandals whether they're real or perceived um you know clerical sex abuse you know the big thing that came out about the magdalen laundries and all this i mean we, we, were these things people in people's minds do you think as they voted or were they just i don't know were they just voting against the catholic church sort of their own french revolution
2: well i i think it's both i clearly i i think this this contributed to it but i'd like to make a point about massachusetts which i think is very telling and which applies here to ireland um, in um, the, the, the stories about the Archdiocese of Boston uh, uh, covering up uh, the homosexual molestation of, of minors broke in, in January of 2002, and, that, and that's when the cascade in the media occurred, and the, and the final catalog kind of was, was was driven out of office, and this uh, this you know rampant anti-Catholicism became apparent. But in October of 2001, which is three months before these stories broke, there were two votes in the Massachusetts State Senate. One was on domestic partners legislation, and the other was on uh, what we now call Obamacare, a contraceptive mandate mm-hmm. in, uh, in 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 group health insurance for employers and, and for the state. And one passed uh, 39 to, to, to 1, and the other was unanimous. So the, the influence of the faith was already dead, uh, clearly, three months. Uh, before the the first stories broke about sexual abuse, so yes, I think in Ireland the stories of sexual abuse did uh, uh, did uh, you know exacerbate the situation but the, the the faith I think has been running on fumes for a very long time, and I think this is um this is pandemic in the West, and I think it goes back to the 1960s and the deconstruction of the traditional faith, and the suppression of the traditional mass, and the uh, and modernism in the church, and uh, the the, uh, the the general abandonment of, of all of the things uh, uh, that uh, of, all, of all of the spiritual and theological and intellectual assets uh, that that, uh, that that contributed to the formation of Catholics, uh, including a lack of uh, you know we've had a lack of catechesis in Ireland, also in America, uh, we've had this kind of sappy ecumenism. This which promotes religious indifferentism. Uh, we've seen a complete, uh, you know, backing away from the traditional doctrine of no salvation outside the church. And of course, we've seen the suppression of the traditional liturgy, which was so um, uh, sublime and so magnificent and so God-oriented, uh, as opposed to this uh, kind of more uh, um, vernacular and, uh, and uh, you might say, man-centered liturgy. So I, I think a whole series of, of, of the revolution in the church I think uh, began the process of decline, and I think the uh, the the abuses and the the scandals I think merely accelerated it.
1: Yeah, and I mean that's an interesting point that I noticed that you made in your in your analysis. Yeah. That Ireland chooses yeah. death. I mean, yeah. it's something that that honestly you're the only person that I've I've seen talk about yeah. that 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 yeah. you know the post Vatican II Church in fifty years yeah. managed to, to to create this destruction that you know took two thousand years to build this. And then it's just gone. I mean, it's like all the, the, (laughs) to borrow that title from Hans von Balthasar, the bastions were raised and and boy, did they come down.
2: Ugh. And the the the, the 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 windows were open to the world, and the torrent came in. Uh, you know, it, it's really it, it, Ireland is now missionary territory again. It, it is. Uh, it, it's incredible. It, it, we, we've it's gone back to you know the, the the work of Saint Patrick has been reversed. It's so, gone back to being a pagan country. Have you seen? Because this is something and, I've seen
1: people talk about: is this repaganization of Ireland? I mean, is that something you're seeing yeah. evidence of?
2: Oh, very clearly, and I I think it um, uh, you know clearly this this this, this rampant. Uh, um, you know sexual immorality i mean if we can speak bluntly i mean people voted uh on may 25th for the right to fornicate without consequence you know to uh to uh, to engage in carnal relations without the responsibility of marriage or children mm-hmm. so clearly i think the capital sin of lust uh, uh, played a part uh but it's also uh, again this uh, uh the, the role of uh, of sodomy the role of the homosexual movement the role of this kind of militant uh, feminism uh the role of uh, of a media which is just um, you know uh, just hysterically uh, Anti-Catholic, and uh, you know the, uh, the 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 growth of uh, all. And I think the growth of the occult uh, plays a part. I think that there's a whole series of things uh, uh, going on in Ireland, which is uh, which is again very 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 disturbing. So you and, you're, uh, it's you're just, mentioning it's so sad um, to see all this.
1: Yeah, no, it is. And so you you bring up you know the the problem of of the embrace of sodomy and, and of this whole homosexual culture. But you also mentioned the role of homosexual clergy, and and I found interesting. The way you worded it, you said that that the disproportionately homosexual Irish clergy played a role. Is, Is the problem really worse in Ireland with this?
2: Uh, yeah, I, I, you know, it's, it's very difficult to know. You know, we, we've seen statistics here, uh, even kind of liberal commentators uh, and, and liberal Catholics have mentioned in America that, uh, you know, the, this, uh, the the lowest number I've seen is about 15% of the clergy are homosexual, which would place it at, at by, again, the most liberal estimate, at least five times that of the, the, uh, of the, of the rest of the population. Yeah. And and some figures have, have placed it as high as 58%. It's really impossible to know. But uh, we have seen numerous homosexuals, just on an anecdotal basis, numerous homosexual scandals. We had a recent one in Manutha National Seminary. Where two seminarians were found uh, basically in bed together, and they later claimed it wasn't a homosexual encounter; they were just drunk. Uh, so it mm-hmm. was, uh, I suppose, alcoholism is to be preferred to sodomy in this case. But still, it's uh, it, it's not edifying. Uh, I remember there was when I was in Ireland visiting Ireland many years ago. Uh, there was just an appalling case of a uh, a priest who apparently had a uh, had a heart attack and died in the in a gay bar in Dublin. Mm. And uh, and somebody said it, it turned out all right because two other priests who were there gave him the last rites oh my goodness so oh my goodness yeah, yeah. so yeah. It, it's it's really this uh, it, it, it's 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 i think it's a, the homosexual the homosexualization in the church is not a problem unique to ireland whether it is worse in ireland than in this country i i think there's no kind of statistical evidence uh to uh Uh, to support it one way or the other it's very difficult to know uh, but it clearly is is a problem and you clearly did have molestation and you clearly did have uh, a homosexual influence in the clergy and of course um people who uh uh, who reject you know divine and natural law in this matter are not going to advocate for divine and natural law in the matter of the sanctity of innocent human life from conception to natural death are they exactly Uh, exactly
1: yeah it flattens that resistance so um, I mean, it's such a profound set of problems. And the conclusion that you reach, which is, I think, I mean, it's a pretty bold conclusion. You you talked about this marking the end of Christendom in Europe. But I mean, yeah. the question that I immediately want to ask is, well, what about Poland? And what about Hungary? I mean, there's places where it seems like the light's shining a little brighter these days. Do you really think that this is, you know, this is taps for Christendom? Ooh.
2: Well, I mean, in, in, in terms of the uh, uh, the traditional Catholic civilization of Europe, which, by the way, was centered around, among other things, the, the traditional Latin mass and the traditional Latin, brief, Latin office and um, uh, a belief in the necessity of the Catholic Church for salvation, that seems to be gone entirely. Uh, Poland you know was a communist country where they had legal abortion and they 've been working they 've been working back from that mm-hmm. and and uh, doing more to restrict it but it 's still uh, illegal in some cases in Poland uh, Hungary you see is a very interesting phenomenon, though it should be pointed out that the uh, the president of Hungary, who is doing so much to uh, defend the West you know, is a Calvinist, not a Catholic
1: right, right.
2: he 's married to a Catholic he 's married to a Catholic wife. But um, uh, we, you know, we, we really don't see the kind of uh, uh, Catholic leadership. I mean, even just two generations ago, we we saw all of this all of the, the this Catholic leadership that was born in the in the in the last quarter of the 19th century. Just you know, about Hillary Belloc made the point that uh, it took about. Four generations to recover from the French Revolution to the faith was very strong again, say, in the 1880s, 1890s. And you saw, you know, de Gaulle in France, and you saw uh, uh, de Gasperi in Italy, and Salazar in Portugal, and Franco in Spain, and de Valera in Ireland, and Adenauer in uh, in West Germany, and of course Kaiser Karl in Austria and Hungary, and uh, that you, you don't see any of this Catholic leadership anymore. It's all it, they've all, the Catholics have simply conformed to the culture and in many ways surrendered to the spirit of the times, and become subservient to elite secular opinion. So it's uh, you know it, it, I think what depresses me and what uh, what concerns me is that you know you can't save our civilization until the. The, the institution which created our civilization, the the Roman Catholic Church is itself uh, kind of saved and reformed and and there isn't a lot of evidence right now that the church is going in the right direction, which I think is very bad news um, for uh, for for the West. Uh, one of de Gaulle's advisors was a uh, Raymond Aron uh, aaron who was uh, who was Jewish. And he wrote in his memoirs that he saw no hope for Europe uh, because they had abandoned their founding principle, and he identified their founding principle as Roman Catholicism. So he, here, here a non-Catholic could clearly see what uh, you know uh, secularized Catholics could not see. Yeah,
1: and uh, that's I incredible. think that
2: should that's, that's concern us.
1: And, and obviously, I mean, in, in many cases, if not most, it seems that Catholics have fallen further than almost everyone. And you mentioned, again, yeah, there were so many great... Great points that you made in that piece. I mean, I think that it's, it's, it's a milestone decision, but it, your, your, your analysis of it is going to go down in the history books. And you know, mentioned the, <laughs> that the apostate uh, you know, Catholics, that the, the Protestants in Northern Ireland need to be saved from the apostate Catholics in the South. I mean, I, that is a devastating line.
2: And I, I, by the way, I'm I, I'm not a uh, I'm not a monarchist in this matter. I'm I'm a long-time Irish nationalist and Irish republican, and uh, my my uh, my grandfather's uncle Peter Hanbury was. Uh, was uh, nearly beaten to death by the Black and Tans uh, during Ireland's War of Independence. And uh, so I'm, 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 I have no sympathy for the British monarchy or for uh, for the Orange Order or right. Northern Ireland. Right. But it, it's simply true in, in this case. Uh, you know, Ian Paisley's son, and Ian Paisley, of course, you know, was, was somebody that had Catholic blood on his hands. Um, Ian Paisley's son has just said, we won't be bullied into accepting abortion in Northern Ireland. Good. Well, good for him. You know? Yeah, and, absolutely. Uh, it, uh, it's, they, they've said the North is next. Uh Theresa May, I think what an irony and uh, what a devastating irony that Theresa May, the prime minister of Great Britain, has congratulated the Irish on the decision, this pitiless decision to exterminate their own children. And now her our minister of health, uh, 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 Penny uh, Mordant, MP, has said that we must move to legalize abortion in Northern Ireland. So I, I think we have to kind of reevaluate our view of Irish unity at this point, yeah. because it's really the, outside of Malta, Northern Ireland is now the only place in Western Europe europe where human life is protected wow so uh uh we, we really need to uh uh you know the the next battle will be northern ireland and we need to support the uh, this is just appalling for me as a catholic to say this as an irish nationalist the only pro-life party in ireland now is the democratic unionist party mm-hmm. you know? and just uh, what, a, what 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 um, how uh, um, what an irony and what in some ways a tragedy and uh, again I'm, i don't criticize them for being pro-life i admire and commend them for being pro-life but the the party founded by Eamon de valera fianna fall is now uh, is now pro abortion. The party founded by Arthur Griffith, Sinn Fein is now pro abortion. The party founded by Liam Cosgrave, uh Fine Gael is now pro abortion. Yeah, it's just um uh, the, the the apostasy is just uh uh, uh so complete and and so uh, and so offensive to anyone that has any kind of Irish um uh, sensibility or sympathy. And so and so tragic. <laughs>
1: I mean, I know this is an impossible question to answer, but where do things go from here in Ireland? You know, you talk about everything that's been lost, you talk about all the things that have been taken away that served as bulwarks against this, you know, this turn in the moral tide. But I mean, is it nothing but freefall from here on out? If Ireland has become, you know, missionary territory, where do we start? Where do we start to get that back?
2: Well, I, again, I, I don't mean to depress your viewers and listeners, but I, I think Ireland is going to get much worse in the, in the near term than better. Uh, you know, Ireland has no First Amendment, and there's no jurisprudential or, or, or legislative tradition regarding conscience clauses. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so we, we, we don't, uh, the, the people that oppose abortion uh, in Ireland, whether they're doctors, nurses, pharmacists, uh, uh, medical technicians, hospital administrators, uh, I think they're, they're going to have a, a very serious burden imposed on their conscience, and I think Catholic institutions are going to see their religious freedom in peril. There's already a story, a rumor somewhere, that uh, Mater Hospital in Dublin, has, a Catholic hospital, has, always, has already been forced to do an abortion under this suicidal ideation mm. uh, provision. And uh, uh, so I, I think you're going to see uh, attacks on religious freedom, attacks on the on the rights of conscience. I think you're going to see the persecution, and of course, by the media, the demonization of, uh, of the continued demonization of pro-lifers, this has emboldened the other side enormously. The, even the other side didn't not. This is like the German army in 1940. Even they didn't expect the, uh, the, the breadth and extent of their victory. So I, I think this will embolden the opposition uh, tremendously. And again, we're, we're seeing just such a, a weak, tepid response from uh, uh, you know the Irish hierarchy. We just had the Archbishop of Armagh, the primate of All-Ireland, walking back from statements where he basically endorsed the uh, position of Bill Clinton and James Carroll that abortion should be uh, l- uh, safe, legal, and rare. Obviously, it's an oxymoron. There's no such thing as a safe abortion. And he's been forced to retract that. But and this, the only reason he
1: walked it back, by the way, CJ, is because I kept bugging his office saying, give me, don't tell me that he was misquoted. I want to know, in what context can you make a statement like that, Catholic? And finally they came back and they were like, well, the Archbishop wants you to know that he shouldn't have said it. it?
2: (laughs) Congratulations to you, Steve, and, and I commend you for that. It's just appalling. You know, in 1560, the Archbishops, Bishops, and Abbots of Scotland sat there in the House of Lords while the Catholic religion was abolished and while the Mass was suppressed, and they did nothing. They did nothing. Mm. They were concerned with their own lives, with their own property, with the political uh, interests of their families. And, uh, you know, you wonder, really, if this is the case today. Uh, one third of Irish priests reportedly belong to the Association of Catholic Priests in Ireland, which is this apostate group, which came out and said that uh, during the referendum, the priests priests shouldn't preach politics from the pulpit, Mm. and that the abortion uh, issue was was too nuanced and complex to uh, have an easy solution. So a third of the priests are traitors. Yeah, it bluntly.
1: I mean, they might as well just give them a civil constitution of the clergy to sign.
2: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, and, um, you know, even in France, which was hideously corrupt in the 18th century. Even in France, half of, and, and even with the king supporting at one point the civil constitution of the clergy, half of the uh, the priests in, in France refused to sign the civil constitution of the clergy. And... Uh, yeah, it's just uh, this is this is more like England under Elizabeth or under Henry VIII, where I think it was under Henry VIII, ninety-nine percent of the priests took the oath of supremacy, and under Elizabeth, ninety about ninety percent took the oath of supremacy. So this is this is apostasy not only among the Catholic laity, this is apostasy among the Catholic clergy.
1: Well, goodness and decency are certainly the underdogs these days. Let me let me switch and, tactics before I let you go. Uh, I do want to talk to you just briefly because we managed to skip past it, but about your organization. And, you know, if people are interested, how they can get information from you. So the Catholic Action League of Massachusetts, what is it? How did it get involved? In, and how do people get on your mailing list? Because honestly, the only reason I got your alerts is because people were forwarding them to me. I, I'd like to tell people if they want to sign up and, and get information from you how to do that.
2: Well, um, first of all, if they want to contact us, uh, uh, you know, our email address is uh, uh, Catholic Action league at gmail.com. That's catholicactionleague at gmail.com. Our website is uh, uh, www.catholicactionleague.org. And uh, we were originally, uh, our, our uh, the, the genesis of our group goes back really to the 1970s. We were originally the Massachusetts chapter of the national organization, the Catholic League for Religious and Civil Rights. And in 1995, we became independent, uh, like the Minnesota chapter. In 1995, we became independent of the New York organization, and we became the Catholic Action League of Massachusetts. And for the last 23 years, we've focus pretty much entirely on Massachusetts and and New England issues. And um, uh, we're a Catholic anti-defamation and religious freedom rights organization. But, you know, it's it's interesting that uh, when we started, so much of our work was uh, involved in responding to attacks. On the church in the media and responding on to uh, you know attempts to uh, uh, to uh, infringe on the constitutional rights of Catholics. But now so much of what we do uh, is uh, is really kind of uh, defending uh, basically Catholic moral teaching in the absence of the church doing so and speaking out against scandals in the church. You know we didn't intend ever to be kind of the church police, but uh, uh, you know more often than not, Steve. We have uh, people in the Boston media contacting us, and uh, and uh, we'll I'll talk to them, and I'll ask them, did you hear from the Massachusetts Catholic Conference, or did you hear from the Archdiocese, which by the way has, uh, you know, a, 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 a six-figure, uh, you know, communications director and two high-priced PR firms, and they'll say that they they reached out to the Archdiocese, or the Catholic Conference, and they couldn't get a response on some moral issue, right. so they come to us. Yeah. So. Uh, Uh, You know, I suppose we should be uh, uh, grateful that um, uh, the the media does come to us, but still it's it's appalling that uh, that there's no institutional response from the Church. So more often than not, in recent years, uh, we've been speaking out on these moral issues simply because you're getting silence from the hierarchy and the clergy. Yeah, and it's a tough
1: position to be in. I mean, I know, it's what we do too, and you you don't want to be in the position of, hey, so the worst enemies to the Catholic faith right now are on the inside. Yeah. but it's yeah. it's how things are exactly
2: so we, we've had a loyal group of supporters here but uh you know, if, if somebody wants to support us again uh, you know you can you can reach us at email by email but uh, catholicactionleague at gmail dot com and our website www.catholicactionleague.org, dot org or you can reach us by telephone at six one seven five two four six three oh nine that's six one seven five two four six 309, and uh, we welcome support all around the country. You know, whenever we uh, a few years ago uh, we put out a statement uh, about how the uh, um, uh, the Knights of Columbus refused to uh, uh, expel pro-abortion public figures. We had a, a resolution here in the in the uh, state Massachusetts uh, Knights of Columbus convention, and it was it was vetoed by the uh, the supreme headquarters in New Haven. And we get contacts from all over the country from people contacting us yeah. saying that we were the only ones speaking out on this issue, and they've been experiencing the same thing there. So we, even though we are a Massachusetts, New England kind of focused organization, uh, we we do get a lot of people from around the country uh, helping us and contacting us because they're, they're seeing the things that are going on here in Massachusetts are often uh, being duplicated in the in the rest of the United States. Yeah. So I just want to stress
1: to uh, our listeners and viewers, check them out because really, I mean, the, your alerts are the reason why I actually really started figuring out what was going on. I was Unfortunately, very ignorant of of the whole referendum coming, and then suddenly it was on top of us, and and the vote was happening. Yeah. And I don't know how many other Catholics. It may just be you know an occupational hazard because I deal with so much news all the time that I, this one just blew past yeah. me. But but I mean, it was yeah. just I have to thank you because you put it into context for me and helped me to understand, you know, what was happening and and how big the issue was. And then you're, you're I'm mean, not to be morbid, but your post mortem on this vote. Um, I think it was really critical. And so if you haven't read it, we'll link it again uh, in, in the show notes thank for this. You. But uh, uh, it's called "You Know Ireland Chooses Death. Um, so C.J. Doyle, Executive Director of the Catholic Action League of Massachusetts, thank you for being with us today. Thank you, Steve. And can
2: I just make one final sure, point? Sure, absolutely. Uh, the, refer- the, the referendum didn't actually legalize abortion. Uh, It removed the constitutional provision protecting human life. There is still going to be a battle for the actual statutory enabling legislation that will actually legalize abortion in Ireland. So we have another fight on our hands. Now, as I said, the the numbers are are entirely against us. All four major political parties Mm -hmm. and the government and the prime minister are are in favor of legalization. So it it will undoubtedly pass. But the uh, you might say the, uh, the, uh, the, the circumstances and the uh, exceptions and the exemptions and the, uh, the various details of that uh, still have to be worked out so there's going to be another huge battle in Ireland in the next few months regarding the actual uh, legalization so the mass killing hasn't started yet but it will in a few months it may even be at the beginning of uh, 2019 uh, but there is another we, we need to continue praying for Ireland and continue also, obviously obviously praying for Northern Ireland but the, um, the, the, the this was just the first this was not an end this was the beginning of a much larger battle
1: yeah so everybody make sure that you sign up for catholic action league alerts because they're going to keep you informed in a way that i couldn't hope to keep up with so thank you again so much for being (laughs) with us thanks steve very much all right take care are you enjoying this podcast would you like more of the same please consider making a tax deductible contribution in support of our work It's easy to do. Just go to onepeter5.com forward slash donate right now. Thank you for your listenership and your support. I am joined now by John Lacken, Secretary of Lumen Fide Institute, which is an association of Catholic laypeople engaged in cultural and educational matters. He is also a columnist with Catholic Voice, a bi-weekly publication for Ireland and the UK with both print and online editions. Thank you for being on the show with us today,
0: John. You're hey, very welcome, Steve. It's good to talk to you.
1: So you're coming to me from where exactly?
0: Um, I live about... Ten minutes from Knock in Ireland, which is where we had a, a, a Marian Eucharistic apparition in 1879. Yes. It's in the west of Ireland in County Mayo, the wettest county of Ireland, although the sun has been shining for the last five days. Uh, when people ask about Ireland and weather, I just say that the, the rain is warmer in the summer than it is in the winter.
1: I think that we got your rain here. I feel like I have to build an arc. It's been weeks since I've seen the sun. Oh, you can keep it. <laughs> All right, so let me get right to this. Um, for American Catholics, um, well, for me anyway, uh, this referendum on the vote to remove legal protection for the unborn from the Irish Constitution sort of snuck up on me. Um, I started hearing slogans about Save the Eighth on social media, but I didn't really know what they were about until very close to the vote. And then the next thing that I knew, uh, it was done and over with. So for the benefit of those who are listening who may not have been any more aware of this than I was, how did this come about and how long has it been, you know, in the works?
0: Um, well, there's been talk about it for uh, several years. The, the amendment itself was put into the constitution in 1983 because Irish people in the pro-life movement believed that the what happened in the UK in 1967 that that act could commit to us because we had some basic common law that the UK had. So the amendment was put in 1983. It was voted in by a two-to-one majority, and then they tried to repeal it um, in 2002. They tried to change it to allow a certain amount of abortion. Um, then, as our sure it was The Catholicism was declining Um, in 2015. They had a referendum on same-sex marriage and they got the referendum, went through very, very strongly in the favor of same-sex marriage. So I think from that they decided we can win this because that was a big blow in the sense of the so-called Catholic Ireland. It showed that the, the fortress was not impregnable. And so when they got that victory, I think then they started planning on how they were going to overturn the Eighth Amendment and get rid of it altogether. So then they set up a false thing, which they call the Citizens' Assembly. Now, it wasn't a Citizens' Assembly because the citizens had absolutely no say in how it was run, who was in charge of it, who would come to speak to it, etc. And the Citizens' Assembly, as I believe it was a ploy, it came back with the results that it said that they wanted to vote for unrestricted abortion complete free, just completely repeal the law. Okay. And from there, then, the government realized that they wouldn't get away with that. So then they started talking about, well, let's do the limits. So they put in the hard cases, and then they said, um, and also we'll, we'll allow abortion on demand up to 12 weeks. But the thing is, whilst they have... <laughs> mooted that as legislation what the referendum actually said is it takes out the 8th amendment and it just simply says that the government has the right to legislate for the termination of pregnancy so it's a blank document, they so can legislate for termination of pregnancy right up until birth if they want to and the Irish people now have no legal recourse we cannot stop them, we cannot take a constitutional challenge against them
1: So this was a, it was a two step process, the first was remove the protection from the unborn from the constitution, the second is now we need to enact legislation that says what we can.
0: Yeah. yeah, well, there's two steps to it, although the referendum part was just the one step. The only thing that was blocking them was the Eighth Amendment. Right. So they could they could have, in, in, in the past, they have uh, tried to put sort of specific legislation within the Constitution. But this time they just said a blank document that the government may legislate to terminate pregnancy. So it was just a repeal of that protection and that's it. Yeah. So so the protection is now actually gone.
1: So what sort of opposition was mounted by pro-life organizations in the lead-up to
0: this? Well, you would have – you've had several pro-life organizations which have been active in Ireland since the 1983 amendment. So they would have been campaigning against that. But again, uh, it's a long discussion because um, from the point of view of – the outsider, people who live outside of Ireland, we're, were were a country with leprechauns and with Catholic saints. Ireland has not been a Catholic country for a long time. Uh, sometimes the image to me comes to of the, the Whited sepulchre, On the outside, we look very, very Catholic. But if you actually scratch at the surface, you will realise that it's not Catholic at all. And one of the one of the key indicators of that is that I would say that between 85 and 95% of Irish Catholics accept contraception in their marriages. So, well, I mean, so this is
1: something that I I really (laughs) want to focus on because I think that. A lot of people were blindsided by by the fact of, of exactly what you're saying that Ireland's not really a Catholic country anymore. I mean, we have this image of that being exactly what it is, and there's so many American Catholics who trace so much of their own ancestry back to Ireland. And there's just this—I don't know. There's an association. There's a benefit of the doubt that that's given, and you've got a constitution that you know starts with a mention of the Holy Trinity and talks about obligations to Jesus Christ this is something we can't even dream of here in America. And so I, I think a lot of people were like, whoa, where did this come from? I mean, how long has Ireland been moving in this direction of, hey, we're just, we don't really care about this Catholic stuff anymore.
0: Yeah, well, where, where, where I would see where the, where the key thing was, and again, for, for a lot of people, and again, as you say, I write articles on this. So I, I did a study basically on Ireland and uh, where I trace the key of it is 1968, and Vitae. So if you if you look back to the Ireland of 1968 very different from the Ireland today um, we were a stronghold of the faith we were a jewel in the crown of the church with a proud history of missionary work and evangelisation throughout Europe and beyond but the faith was also reflected in our laws so in 1968 in ireland divorce was illegal the sale and importation of contraceptives was illegal there's no pornography on sale in the shops and most of the shops would have been closed for business on sundays because sunday was a holy day of obligation and yeah. even on the weekly the weekday holidays days obligation the shops closed abortion was illegal and homosexual acts were illegal and when i was looking at that i remember the conversation that i had with my late father sean lakin we had a divorce referendum in 1995 and again that's kind of amazing for Some people to think that there was no divorce in Ireland until nineteen ninety five. And I remember my father said, and he was a devout Catholic, and he said we never should have had a ban on divorce in the Constitution. And I wasn't sure exactly what he meant, but his reasoning was you can't legislate to make people moral. You have to convince them of the truth of your convictions. And as I say, at the time I didn't understand what he meant, but it's one of those things that's stuck in my head. But after, when I started looking at the, the 2015 referendum, I realized what he meant is, what happened in Ireland is, I think the church became complacent. You didn't have to teach the teaching on divorce and why it was yeah, there, because yeah. it was illegal. You didn't have to teach about contraception, it was illegal. You didn't have to teach about so many things because they were actually illegal. So the church, I think, was sitting back on the back foot. But then in 1968, in the main seminary in Ireland, uh, after the issuance of Human. Vitae, six professors, all of them priests in Minut Seminary, publicly dissented from Humana Vitae, and two of them were moral theologians, and the guys that they were teaching were the seminarians who were going to be the future priests. And as I say in in the video that I produced, none of them were dismissed, none of them were disciplined, all of them were allowed to continue teaching uh, seminarians, the Catholic faith, even though they now dissented from official Catholic church teaching. And that's where I think the, the real slip started. Then one of those, and this was, I, I noticed this particularly myself, because I got married in 1988. And when we did our pre-marriage course, all the different forms of contraception were discussed with us on a, on a pre-marriage course that we were told was mandatory. And then when I did my research, I found that one of these senior professors of moral theology who dissented publicly from Humana Vitae in was appointed as secretary to what was called the Catholic Marriage Advisory Council, which was the organization that was running the pre-marriage courses on behalf of the bishops. So somebody who publicly dissented from this was appointed to the commission that was designing the pre-marriage courses that was going to inform the young people who were getting married.
1: So it's the march through the institutions. I mean, they just baked it right in.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But the fact is the, the, the bishops were complicit.
1: Well, and so this brings me to another question that I have, which is how involved were the clergy, particularly the bishops in leading the fight against this repeal? I mean, did they show up? Cause the, I mean, one of the things that a lot of people have noticed is the Pope wasn't anywhere to be found. So, you know, where were the bishops?
0: Well, the Bishops, the Bishops would have made some statements, and then some Bishops would have issued statements within their diocese. There was no campaign on behalf of the Bishops. Um, and I'm, and my own mind is not firmly made up on this yet. There are some people who have said that if the bishops did get involved and actually campaigned, the result would have been worse because the hostility towards Catholicism here is just, it's, it's at a very high level. Um, I mean, it, just around the referendum, uh, my own family situation, I don't have television. I generally stay away from the mainstream media uh, because I just say i got to focus on what I'm doing. But coming up to the referendum, I just dipped into a couple of the mainstream media, like the Irish Times, RTE, mm-hmm. to read a couple of statements. But it's when you get down to the comments section, even if nothing Catholic has been mentioned, you suddenly get this vitriol against the Catholic Church that bring up the priest abuse thing, they'll say, oh, if you want to believe in fairy tales, and all of this sort of stuff comes through there. And you sort of wonder, like, where are these people coming from? And then As I say, what you realize, again, when you look at the vote in Ireland, uh, the analysis on the exit poll from RTE said that 87.6% of the 18 to 24-year-old cohort voted for abortion. Ah. And these are the guys, the vast majority of these have come from schools that are Catholic schools. And in Ireland, the Catholic schools are under the patronage of the Irish bishops. So when you have that many who have just come out of school, yeah, and they have absolutely no semblance of the Catholic faith, it just—it just shows you the level of the problem that. I we mean, have. that was
1: the one statistic that I hadn't seen that I've been looking for is what the youth vote was because you know it was two thirds in favor in Dublin it was seventy seven percent like the numbers kept yeah. going up as you narrowed down your niches but. You just knew that that's where the, cause that's where the youth seem to be going everywhere right now.
0: Yes. Um, well, the, the other interesting thing about the exit poll is that of all of the, the age cohorts, the only cohort that voted no was the 65 plus cohort. Oh. Every other cohort voted in favor by smaller margins as you get older. But as I say, so you're starting at 87.6% and then it's gradually narrowing down. But only on, when you got to the 65 plus did you actually get a no vote. And, and so, then you had the one county that in in Ireland that actually always yeah. bucks the trend, Donegal. Yeah. If you've Donegal ancestors, you you can be proud. They've always <laughs> known.
1: So I mean, you know, you mentioned this hostility toward the church. Is this just because it, it's just been one thing after another? I mean, you know, I don't know how much of this is blown out of proportion, but you hear the thing, you know, the stuff mm-hmm. about the Magdalen laundries. You hear about you know the graves. You hear about the clerical abuse. But I mean, even well, so, so, so,
0: go ahead. Yeah, so, some of the stories are, are blown out of proportion. But, they, but the one qualifier that I'll say is that if, if if one child is abused by a priest, it, it's one too many. Of course. You know, there's no tolerable level. But what you've had is, so you had a certain amount of abuse by clergy. And again, the thing that the mainstream media doesn't want to look at, most of the abuse was homosexual abuse. and yeah. that's not justifying and saying that it's okay. But most of it was same-sex attracted priests right, right. who basically abused males who were actually adolescents. So you're, you're dealing with homosexual homosexually homosexuality rather than Peter asti in the strict sense and in, in that regard then that, that brings you back to the whole problem with minut because in minut one of the former presidents of Manute uh, was was accused of um, this crime explain
1: of, what that uh, is because I don't I don't know what that is. Menuth, which Peter Menuth.
0: Oh, sorry. Menuth is the national seminary in Ireland. The only seminary that we have left standing. Okay. So, so in Menuth, a president of Menuth. I don't know the years now. This, but this president was actually um, there were there were question marks going around about him being involved with a young underage boy. He eventually paid off the young boy. Um, and uh, there was a silence clause involved in that, a non-disclosure clause. Then he resigned two years after that, all the time he was on full pay. At his resignation, this is the president of Manute, at his resignation, he was paid a 100,000 euro bonus uh, to his pension and he now lives in, uh, in America somewhere, he's with the new age community and apparently he's living with a man in a relationship. So I mean, so he was actually the president of Maynooth, he was the only one that was let go, and the other side to that story is there was one priest who went to six different bishops, and he said, look, there's problems with this guy, and that priest was actually uh, sent to Siberia. Basically, they picked a small parish up in the north of Ireland, and they yeah. transferred him up to there. and and that's
1: so there's no there's no justice for any of this and that i mean that's a reason for anger but i but i I guess and you're right you know one instance is one too many but at the same time to begin to associate in a culture that's been catholic for 1600 years Mm -hmm. that you know these isolated cases equal the catholic church that's a big leap i mean how how do you get there from here you know what is what is the state of the church now you mentioned contraception i mean what, what other indicators do you have of the health or lack thereof of the church in Ireland in 2018?
0: Well, you, you you would have some parishes in Dublin where the mass attendance rate is down as low as 5%. Okay. And then the average, I think, in Dublin is around 20%, 25%. Um, when Are you they go closing the parishes? Our... Sorry? Are they closing yes, parishes? They, they're, yeah. They're closing parishes, and they're doing what's called clustering of parishes yeah. and that sort of stuff. Uh, when you when you move further west in Ireland, you, you'll get to mass attendance rates of over 50 percent and even i know on a couple of occasions when we have had foreign students coming to stay with us and we take them to mass even during the week and they see like you know there might be 40 people at mass they're kind of what yeah and again that gives the impression that it's really catholic but then one of the other interesting indicators from the exit poll was that apparently 33 percent of catholics who said they go to mass regularly and regularly was more than once a month uh, voted yes for mm. abortion and one percent of those said that they attend mass more than twice per week so they could be daily mass goers and they voted yes for abortion how in the world be...
1: does that happen
0: well i think it, it, again it, it's it's one of the things that i, that I, I write about uh on, on different occasions is the whole nature of the concept of authority and how authority works within the church and not only that but in society when you think of all authority comes from god so if you have a bishop and the bishop is in charge of authority, authority flows downhill. Sure. If the bishop is not prepared to obey those in authority above him, so if the bishop does not uphold the teaching document of the church yeah. with regard to an infallible statement and contraception, how can he expect those under his command to actually obey? Because they're going to see that he doesn't take obedience seriously. Sure. So, so he undermines his own authority. So it's the, it's the old thing, they're sawing off the branch that they're sitting on.
1: Yeah. So let me ask you this I mean we've got the scandals in the church and we've got you know this this diminishing teaching. are there other you would say dominant influences that have led the Irish people away from so many centuries of because it's not just doctrine and it's not just belief I mean it's a it's bones deep in the culture right so uh, how what happens that uproots that in what 20 30 years I mean it's probably closer to half a century but how do we get yep. here from there?
0: Well again, you you also have in in Ireland which I th- and I think now uh, I, I can't say because I don't know America that well but I, but I think even just from the, the little bit that, I, that I've seen we do not have an alternative media there is one media in Ireland the, the mainstream media there is no alternative to it mm. um, Catholic Voice has kind of come out we're, we're 10 years on the go but our circulation is very very low yeah. but from that point of view and then also the state media the state broadcaster is controlled by the government and it's all controlled by left wing so there's there, there is no if you like right wing media sure. in Ireland okay. everything is left wing. So so the people, the populace are being fed this steady stream. Then you have the other thing is that most Catholics, because the catechetical system in Ireland has collapsed, so most Catholics are not learning their doctrine. So they're they so they don't have They're not well-formed in the faith. And then they're getting this stuff coming in from the media. Then we also have a couple of media darlings who are priests and who, again, who are liberal dissenting priests. And again, these guys are free to speak. They get invited. For example, in Knock, where I am, they have... um, They have an annual novena, and at the annual novena, it's twice a day, and there'll be about 7,000 people attending each of those, so 14,000 people attending every day for 10 days. Mm -hmm. Um, But at that novena, for example, about three years ago, it might be four, uh, Father Timothy Radcliffe was invited to speak. So uh, the man when, when who compared phone,
1: gay sex to the Eucharist, yeah. Yes. So he, he he's invited to speak.
0: So again, you're you're once again seeing that the dissenting voices and then priests who are orthodox they, they they don't get the stage.
1: You know, it's confounding. I mean, and so you know the question that I that I have at the end of my list, you've answered some of the ones that I that I uh, had. You anticipated them, um, but the one that. That I'm sure you're trying to figure out how to answer is what's next for Irish Catholic pro-lifers. I mean, where do you go from here?
0: Well, again, when 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 I see when when people ask what's next and all that, and and and, and I say in the article that I have coming out in the in the next issue of the paper, you know, I say like you say at the weekend of the referendum, my emotions were, uh, you know, they're all over the place. Mm-hmm. I, I was um, I was sad, I was angry, I was hurt, um, but I always had the seeds of hope. And my my mother, she's 85 now. The, Next month, June. Um, So she lives in Dublin, which is the capital. Yeah. So I I was supposed to be doing a job just fixing up something at at the house there for her. So I was up in Dublin with my wife and three of my children at the weekend. And where Dublin is, there's a Benedictine monastery called Silverstream close Uh, to that. Yes,
1: I'm familiar with it.
0: So that's Dom Kirby. So I, I decided I was going to go to the office of thirst, the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. And as I say to people, you know, when, I, when I walked in there, cause Friday night, I didn't sleep that well when the, when the exit poll results came out. Saturday morning, I was back in hope and I was thinking, hold on a minute. And then the way I describe it is the world is in turmoil. Satan has scored another apparent major victory. And yet when you arrive into the Catholic oasis of Silverstream Priory, uh, where men gathered to sing the praises of God and to try to live holy lives, life is going on as normal. and that's when I realize in the realm of the divine nothing has changed. God is still God, his commandments are still his commandments, his love for the unborn has not changed, his love for those who voted yes and for those who commit the atrocity of abortion hasn't changed, and his desire for us to um, to be with him forever in heaven has not changed. So it, it, during that then I remembered also Saint Claude de la so he was St. Margaret Mary Alacoque's spiritual director with the mm-hmm. the revelation of the sacred heart. Yes. But he has, and if you haven't got it, I, I guarantee to get it for those times when things are really bleak. It's a treatise on divine providence. Now, when you first read it, it's very, very difficult. But let me just quote to you just the first paragraph. Sure. Of it. He says, it is one of the most firmly established and most consoling of the truths that have been revealed to us that apart from sin, Nothing happens to us in life unless God wills it so. Wealth and poverty alike come from him. If we fall ill, God is the cause of our illness. If we get well, our recovery is due to God. We owe our lives entirely to him. And when death comes to put an end to life, his will be the hand that deals with the blow. And then he asks, what should we attribute to God when we are unjustly persecuted? And he said, yes, he is the only person that you can charge with the wrong you suffer. He's not the cause of the sin or the person commits you to, but he actually allows the person to do it. And if he didn't allow them to do it, they couldn't do it. And so eventually he tells you that we must, what we must do is trust in God and we should thank him because he knows what he's doing in allowing us to suffer this trial. And as I say in my article, God knows why he has allowed us to suffer this defeat in the referendum. And my own thinking on this now is that perhaps God has allowed this defeat so that Irish Catholics would reflect deeply in order to discover why is it that we're losing the cultural wars? Because we didn't lose, the referendum wasn't lost on Friday. In Ireland, we have been losing the cultural wars since about 1968. They've been eroding, and the pro-life groups have been fighting a defensive battle all the time. We have never been on the offensive. We're just... We, we, we keep them back and then we're just waiting. They regroup and they come back and attack us. And as I said to some people, you know, even if this referendum had been lost for the people who held the referendum and did it, it was a marketing exercise. If they lost this then they would say they would do their analysis and say okay the next time we go for this here's how you win it and as I say I personally think that the same-sex marriage referendum was a marketing exercise for them and I remember commenting to some people in the pro-life movement because just before the government started putting the legislation together for holding the referendum on the same-sex marriage they decided that for the first time in the history of Ireland they were going to legislate according to what was known as the X case now the X case was a case where a girl was raped within the family and they said she couldn't have an abortion because of the 1983 referendum mm-hmm. so this case the judge ruled that where there was a risk to the life of the of the mother from suicide that an abortion was permissible under irish law but none of the governments ever had the nerve to touch it but in in 2013 they enacted legislation but as i said to some people i said this legislation while they're pushing it through and they, we can't stop it i think it's a smoke screen because i said same sex marriage is coming down the tracks behind this and nobody's watching it Yeah. And so, so that's where it's, you can see it's all orchestrated. And as I say to people, sometimes I wish the devil was on our side because he's a master strategist, <laughs> a master military guy. If, if, if he was on our side, I know he can never be, and I, I say that with my tongue and my cheek, but people have to realize who the devil is. Any, any man who thinks that he can take on the devil and win is a fool, and he's not going to win, you know? That's where we have to humble ourselves and say, Lord, this is your battle. We just get slapped around, but we have to rise again. And as I say, in... I can't remember which saint it was, but our call is not to be successful, it's to be faithful. That's what our Lord says, when I come back, will I find faith on earth? He doesn't say, will you have cleared up the place for me? Will everything be in order? He says, will I find faith? Yeah. on earth and so that's where it has to go so as i say from from the initial thing on on friday night as i say i, I get a couple of mood swings but in general i'm actually upbeat and i think this is a great thing because again another saint and i can't quote who it was but he was playing a game of chess and somebody asked him said father if the, if you were told that the world was going to end in five minutes what would you do and he said i would carry on playing my game of chess so in other words, his mind was focused on what God was doing, So, and that's what Silverstream taught me, that the world hasn't changed. God is still God. There's all this stuff going on. But this is a blip from the point of view of eternity. This is a blip in the history. The other thing as well that I came across online was that people said, this is not the death knell of Ireland. This is the burial of Ireland. And I would just say, please, don't bury us alive. There's a few of us <laughs> still here fighting. <laughs> and please don't start shoveling the muck on us just yet. Because as, as, as another thing that I've been saying to people, and it's, it's a recognition recommendation and recommend it to all your own people is to read Maccabees book one in, in, in the first book of Maccabees the, the king has taken over the Jewish faith is under attack and now they're called and they have to make sacrifice to the king they want just just one grain of incense is all he wants and the Maccabeans uh, the father Mattathias he slays the two guys and does that and then the Maccabeans head for the hills and they start fighting then at one time the enemy are coming on a Sunday and there's a group of them down in the valley and they say no we're not fighting on Sunday And they get wiped out. So Judas Maccabeus says to him, he said, we must fight and fight hard, otherwise we and our generations will be wiped off the face of the earth. And they do that. And it's amazing because we're so badly catechized, what I found out when I was reading that story and just going through it, I didn't realize that when Judas Maccabeus finally reconquered the temple in Jerusalem, that's what the celebration of Hanukkah is. And they're still actually celebrating it over 2000 years later, they're celebrating the victory of Judas Maccabeus over these guys. So that's what I say to people, we have to head for the hills, we have to group together the remnant, and we have to fight and fight strong, but we have to fight for our lives, the lives of our children and the lives of our grandchildren. And we will be successful. The victory is ours in the end. Many of us will be martyred, but we will be successful. But on martyrdom, the other thing that I've noticed is that we we, we don't have the privilege of a bloody martyrdom. Our martyrdom is the martyrdom of ridicule, possibly the martyrdom of prison. They're, they're, they're not in one sense yet foolish enough to start spilling our blood. But I think It may come depending on how the whole Muslim question pans out, but that's another day's work.
1: Yeah, it is. Well, you know, I have to thank you so much for ending Mm -hmm. this on a hopeful note because it's not just... What's happened in Ireland in the last few days? It's what's happening in the world. It's what's happening in the church. I mean, every day I hear from people who just feel so oppressed. And you know, I found myself saying, actually, after the vote came in, you know, can the good guys win one once in a while? Like just once, it'd be nice for the good guys to win. But you've yeah. reminded me of the perspective but from, from, that we from the
0: point have. of view of eternity. We actually are winning. But but just on that note, and a little plug if I can, you mentioned Lumen Fide. The World Meeting of Families, and this is another thing that I mentioned, like that our bishops are bringing over Cardinal Kupic, Cardinal Donald Worle, Cardinal Vincent Nichols, all of whom do not uphold a church teaching on marriage Correct. to the World, Meeting of, uh, Catholic, of the World Meeting of Families. So we looked at this and we said, what can we do? So a year ago, we decided we are hosting another conference in Dublin at the exact same time, just around the corner from where the World Meeting of Families is for two days on the Wednesday and Thursday. We're calling ours a Conference of Catholic Families. Initially, I was going to call it the World Meeting of Catholic Families, but I thought that was just too similar to another event that's <laughs> happening. But a Conference of Catholic Families Families, and what we're taking as the basis for our conference is the great encyclical of Pope Pius twelfth on marriage, ca- sorry Pope Pius eleventh, Casti, Casti Canubi. Canubi. Mm-hmm. Because again, when, when you ask the average Catholic in Ireland, I'm not sure how it is in America, and you say, With which encyclical did the church condemn contraception? The answer you will get is Humanae Vitae. And the answer is wrong. Right. It was Casti Canubi. Humanae Vitae is just reiterating Casti yeah. Canubi. Yeah. Casti Canubi came out in 1930 the Lambeth Conference when for the first time a Christian outfit said, contraception was okay so that's just if anybody's around if they go to our website we have we have tickets for sale for that conference it's going to be over two days we have some very good speakers lined up for it uh, father thomas Wynandy is coming over we also have another interesting situation in that some of our uh, speakers i can't say exactly who who are well known to church circles have been put under pressure not to come to our conference by the official members of the hierarchy, and not just in Ireland, from abroad as well. So that's there's interesting stuff playing out there. And as I say, these are people that, you know, we, we had some good speakers lined up, but we're working away, and Our Lady, as I said to Anthony when that happened, I said, don't worry, Our Lady will send other speakers to us. And since then, we've just got um, Dr. Stefan, is it Mercier, who's on, do you know the guy from Belgium? I don't he know taught- that name okay he, Dr. Stefan he, he taught his philosophy students in uh, Louvain Catholic University okay. in Belgium yeah he taught his philosophy students the argument the philosophical arguments as to why abortion is murder he also taught them that they should also look at all of the other arguments and compare them based on philosophical reasoning and four weeks later he was suspended from the university, Uh, when his contract came up for renewal, they didn't renew his contract. At that time he was married and his wife is expecting their first child. So this is how a Catholic university treats a young married family expecting their first child. Upholding the teachings of the church because he's upholding the teaches yeah,
1: the church. Yeah, we, we hear this story over and over again. It's crazy. Well, send me again, a link. He's
0: very upbeat as
1: well. Send me, send me any information you've got and we'll be happy to help promote it. And do you have, is there going to be any online component or is it just... Because more and more of these conferences, they're broadcasting them so people around the
0: world... Well, again, the, the Lou and Feedy Institute, we only launched last July. So okay. we're one of those organizations. We're struggling. We're counting pennies. And yeah, understood. And, and just, you know, we don't we don't have a, a, a major budget. So we're just we're running it as best we can. Okay. Uh, but we're going to make an impact. Well, we'll I mean, be
1: happy to help. I'll push it out so, if you want to get us that information and uh that'd be fantastic so yeah
0: i'll, I'll send you an email or if you send me an email to secretary just so i have your correct details for right. that, because that doesn't go into the big pile only the small pile <laughs> all right john
1: Lacken, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today
0: you're very welcome god bless you
1: all right everybody well that's it for this episode of the one peter five podcast thank you so much for tuning in Uh, If you are listening via iTunes, we ask you to please go in there and give us a five-star review. The more reviews that we have, the more likely it is that others will find our podcast as it rises up the ranks. Also, if you are watching on YouTube, please go ahead and hit that subscribe button. We are planning on pushing out more video content, and if you've got a subscription, then you're more likely to see it, and that's a cool thing. So thank you so much for your time, and we'll see you on episode 49. God bless you. You've been listening to the One Peter Five podcast. This has been a production of One Peter Five Incorporated. Copyright 2018. All rights reserved. If you have downloaded this podcast through iTunes, we encourage you to go there and leave us a review to help others find and enjoy our show. If you would like to support our work, go to onepeterfive.com forward slash donate to make a tax-deductible contribution. This not only helps to pay for web hosting and the fine content we provide, but keeps food on our tables, coffee in our cups. And the light's on, which really helps us see what we're doing. Until next time, I'm Steve Skojak. Thanks for listening.